Give me a ticket for an airplane Ain't got time to take a fast train Lonely days are gone I'm coming home My baby just wrote me a letter You're listening to To Whom It May Concern, a live monthly show in Echo Park, California, where folks read their letters on stage. Real letters they've written, letters they've received, correspondence back and forth, and letters we wish we could write. Becky Haycox reads amusing childhood letters from her mum, letters that elicit both laughs and sounds of sympathy from the audience. So my mother was a complicated woman of many levels, as most mothers are. It's no surprise. Um, My mom was great, loving, kind, funny, very giving, but she also had a side to her that I like to call a perfect storm of Lucille Bluth. Um, the, uh, the mother from Harold and Maude, if anyone has seen that movie. <laughs> and a little bit of Auntie Mame. Um, yeah. And uh, I do need to mention here that my mother weighed exactly 100 pounds her entire adult life. Um, and uh, I'm saying this here um, not really for your benefit as much as for the benefit of the spirit of my mother so that she doesn't get offended and come and haunt me, um, that I, uh, these letters are excerpted using artistic license, but everything here was, was said by my mother. Um, <laughs> but the gist remains completely intact, as well as the nicknames. So uh, this first one is a letter from my mom to her sister, Deb. I was three years old. Um, I had had and have a sister, Lauren, who's 16 years older than me, and she had just gotten married in Boston. Dear Deberly, things here are simply chaotic. Lauren's wedding was a week filled with a lot of laughs, near disasters, and a perfectly lovely ceremony. After a week of parties and 90,000 gallons of champagne per person, we collapsed in a heap, only to have to pick up the threads of our lives where we had left off. Becky, that's me, despite being post-chicken pox scabby, made an adorable flower girl. She did forget to scatter the petals and did emit a shriek when her brother pulled her away from the bride and groom, and she did pull her dress above her head at the reception. (laughs) Becky's a funny, fussy, quiet, domestic little thing. She's perfect from every angle, well, almost. She is a little chubby, but I suppose that is something that happens to toddlers. Now, Dibs, when are we going to get your crazy affairs in order, love, Peg? When I was nine, I attended a six-week summer camp with my best friend, Fern. Um, It was very traumatic because Fern was about to move away to the other coast after we uh, finished summer camp. Um, And we had grown up together in Arizona. And my parents spent part of the summer in California. So here's a letter that my mom wrote to me from the second week of summer camp. Dear Becky Bottoms, (laughs) California is lovely. Your grandmother sends greetings. I haven't heard a word from you because, I guess, all the mail is in Phoenix. But I'll be home in a couple weeks, and we'll catch up on all the news from you. 
We have some fun family plans in store for the fall. Love, Mom. P.S. Maudie says, bow wow, rough, rough. And here's her letter to me uh, the third week of summer camp. Dear Bobbly Boo, these are all real nicknames. Just think, you're halfway through your adventures. If I don't hear from you soon, I'll have to assume that you've been carried away by a large bird. I knew what Fern is doing because she writes her parents every day. Well, I expect a pile of cards waiting for me when we get back to Phoenix. There were no cards. Be sure to wash your hair and keep your teeth brushed. I'd hate to have green moss growing when I see you next time. Also, run around and play as much as you can. It's not good for little girls to be chubby. Love, Mom. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. And then this was written the last week of summer camp. Dear Becky, we are home from the beach after that long drive across the desert. I was amazed that you had not written one single card. Well, perhaps the mail will bring something today. No, no. Love your mother. And then as a historical side note, I uh, only wrote one card from summer camp, and that was to my brother Parker. And here it is. Dear Parker, here I am at camp. We have done a lot of great things to pass the time away. We rode horse. But now I, and that's where the card ends. <laughs> and by the way, the fun family plans that my mom had for the fall were um, Weight Watcher meetings with my mom, dad, and myself, and I was nine. <laughs> um, then when I was 13, my parents traveled to the Soviet Union and this was during a time when the Cold War was still very intense, and um, not a lot of Americans traveled there. And it might just be a coincidence that they split up right after they got back. Here's her letter to me dated August 1st. Dear Beaky, what an utterly fascinating country. The Winter Palace was awe-inspiring, but you can tell its magnificence is underappreciated by the current countrymen. I'm trading away all my ballpoint pens and big hunk candy bars for charming Russian pins. <laughs> you won't believe it, the KGB stole the tour guide's passport. Be mindful of your grandmother, love mom. Here's one from August 15th of the same trip. Dear Kabuki, I can't even describe how bizarre the last few days have gone. One of our fellow Americans with us on the tour dropped dead right in front of Lenin's tomb. Before we knew it, officials carted the body and the widow away. A day later, the widow returned with her husband's ashes. She is not allowed to leave the country, so now must sit on the bus, holding her husband's urn and pretending to sightsee. Ghastly! Love, Mom. P.S. Your father and I have both ballooned out from overindulgence. How is the weight coming along for you? It is the time to shed some poundage. Um, after my parents' divorce, I went to live with my dad on the East Coast, and I didn't see mom all that often until after I was an adult. Um, and when I was 17, I went to acting school for a summer program in London. And here's her letter. This is the last letter. Dear Besky, I have been buried under a million complicated moving-slash-business-slash-entertainment details over the last month, and I'm now coming up for air just in time to get ready to drive your grandmother to Montana. I got your letter yesterday and was understandably thrilled and elated at hearing from you and hearing about your theatrical adventures. It all sounds fabulous. I think I would have had a good go at the stage if I had it all to do over again. 
But of course, I had the children instead. <laughs> but honestly, I admire what you're doing. I would give about 10 years of my life to see you acting in your play. I really miss you. Love, Mom. P.S. Hope all those dancing lessons will get you slimmer. <laughs> That's it. Thank you. Aaron Gilmartin, known to listeners for his music on a previous podcast, reads letters between himself and his father. My mother and father divorced in the 90s, and I don't know the exact date because it was years after the process was begun, and they had been separated for years. I don't quite know how these things work yet. They remained close in phone calls, and even at Christmas, when the family would gather once in a while, we would still sing together, and they would playfully joke with each other about their shared time and individual quirks. A little over a year ago, my mother passed away on December 28, 2012, seven days after her 67th birthday, exactly six months before my father's 70th birthday. I am born on September 7, 1967. Every birthday in our family is a multiple of seven, or has a seven in it. A year before my mother's passing, I testified to the federal grand jury in the trial of my father in his fight against the federal income tax. Fifteen days after my mother's passing, I was in New York to see him convicted of a number of felonies. In July last year, he was sentenced to four years in prison, and in February, I drove up to Atwater, California to visit him with the best company a man can want, my beautiful girlfriend, Allison. Since my dad has been in prison, I get alerts on my phone from their app anytime he emails me. We also talk on the phone sometimes for the allotted 15 minutes, as we did earlier today. The most recent letter reads, Dear all, I've just become more busy than before. Monday night, I held the first lecture of a class I am entitling Economics, Science, and its relevance to both current and historical debates. The first lecture was attended by 14, including a number of friends who may not be interested in the subject itself. I talked about how the method of economics must differ from that of physics and introduced four of the major deductions on which economic science is based. Comments afterwards were all pleasant. I will lecture 7 to 8.30 on Mondays and Wednesdays for the next two months. I may not cover the whole syllabus by the end of May, but the administrator limited the first course and the other materials will have to go on to the second course. I think I will keep myself busy for April and May, just planning each lecture. I am also taking a fellow inmate's course on culinary arts. The students there will be preparing the evening meal for the 146 men in the camp on Sunday every other week to apply and practice what we have covered there. I'm also taking back the appeal of my conviction from the court-appointed attorney whom I find so counterproductive. I will henceforth handle it myself. Good wishes to all, David. These are in reverse chronological order, by the way. March 18th, 2014, 10.20 p.m. Yardsite. My mother's death in 1976 was on March 19th. I remember it as the last day of winter, ending a three-month struggle with chemo treatment and uterine cancer and the winter of her discontent. That was 38 years ago, when she was 64 years old. Judy, my sister, has just written me that this evening begins the art site in the Hebrew calendar as well. To me, she is dear. March 20th, 2014. My reply, 12.40 p.m. Dear Dad, Allison and I were lying in bed last night discussing what to call our future child. I suggested Sylvia, 
your mother's name as a possible. Last night, this was on March 19th. Alice and I agreed that Sylvia is a beautiful name and could remind us of our heritage, bring many nice associations, and has the added benefit of not being a popular name these days. There was discussion about a temporary name, and then we spoke of the Jewish tradition of using the first letter of the name of the most recently deceased family member. And so we began talking about names that begin with P in honor of Patricia. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. I noticed that you have forgone any salutation, hello or au revoir, in our latest emails. I also don't hear from you on the Telephonopolis. I think of you every single day, often talk about issues arising from your work on taxes and freedom and your incarceration, and look forward to reading your missives and talking to you on the phone. I send you lots of love from here, from me and Allison. March 20th, same day, 4.36 p.m. Dear Aaron and Allison, I named you Aaron without trying. Aaron just seemed to be your name. And though Patricia resisted it at first, I called you Aaron for months before you appeared. And long before September 7th, Patricia was comfortable with the name. Patricia wanted to name Alice as Alice after an ancestor, but to this day I don't remember who that was. It might have been Papa's mother or grandmother, but I don't know. Perhaps Alice knows from Patricia. And Patricia and I were separated by animosity in the months before Jen was born, and from the last week of June, I was living in the second house south of DuPont Circle on the west side of 19th Street, walking two blocks south to work each morning in an outpost of the Commerce Department, that is, in the Office of Business Economics. That's OBE, now called BEA, the Bureau of Economic Analysis, which then, as now, published the quarterly estimates on gross domestic product and the underlying details of the input-output table. So... I have never puzzled over the correct name of an upcoming child. (laughs) I'm sure the irony was missed, but anyway. Sylvia Brill spells her name with two I's, but the common spelling, I think, is Sylvia with a Y, which Shakespeare and my mother used. Quotes, who is Sylvia? What is she that our swains adore her? Much love to you and to Allison with a Y, David. My notes. Didn't email dad for a few days. He noticed, many exclamation points. He wants more reading material and more visits. I gotta get to see him soon. He addressed this letter to my mother on her 50th anniversary and the second anniversary of their marriage since she had passed. January 18th, 2014, 4.22 p.m. Dear Patricia, I'm gonna cry. It's 50 years ago that we met on a Saturday at your aunt's house and made official a knot already tied. Had a piece of cake and retreated to a cup of coffee at the International House of Pancakes on University Drive, just south of the East-West Freeway, where you cried. We then went to our newly rented house on Green Street, a block south of Barrie and two blocks south of the TCU campus. That afternoon, we moved to the Folkways recordings of 35 songs of the Civil War from Lubbock Street, just three blocks away, along with other important and many unimportant items, and settled in. My urgent task that weekend was to learn the first semester of accounting, for which I had not had a slot in my fall schedule, so that I could pass the test on it Monday and be admitted to the second semester course. Our concerns there were many, but prominent among them was the fight for the civil rights of blacks, which through Susan Vrabel had brought us together 18 months earlier. Now, 50 years on, you are in the spiritual world, and I am in prison. Your comrades are Sita, Papa, Catherine, Shirley, Sylvia, Grace, Michael, Tom, and so many others. My comrades are all new acquaintances whom you will not meet. Your work is over at Lubbock and Green and Park Overlook 
and East West Highway and Garland and Franklin and Putnam and Prince and Macomb and Airmount and Hungry Hollow and in Sacramento and Davenport and Seattle and Phoenixville and Pottstown and again in Seattle. Bless your human work as it blessed us, both when we were near and when we weren't. The founts of love bless human work. My work today is like on our first weekend of marriage, studying hard for the upcoming semester. My concerns have transmuted, but continue in a direction similar to what we had then. I'll keep you posted on them. With love, David. Michael Ostrom, who is playing music on this episode, improvises a poison pen letter, and Aaron Gilmartin accompanies him on guitar. It may be helpful to the listener to know that no one present knew precisely what a poison pen letter was. Dear Senator Wilson, how do I begin? It is with great trepidation I see your visage upon Fox News from day in and day out. You are a disgrace to our beloved grand old party. I beg of you to resign. Anyone who gives a whisper of support to this atrocity called Obamacare deserves to be drawn and quartered post haste. I knocked door to door for you in your campaign in 85 for. I stuffed envelopes. I lost my first wife because of my support for you and your policies. My children don't speak to me anymore. The neighbors give me the stink eye. I hope this letter finds you whatever the opposite of well is. I see from your appearances on Fox News that you are aging, and you're not aging very well at all. One question I have is, is your left eye real or not? If it's a glass eye, you need a new one because it looks very milky. The only comfort I find is that you will not run again because of your increasing age and your illness. And the fact that this is indeed a poison pen letter. Literally, a poison pen letter. If you've gotten this far down the page, and I do pray to Jesus that you have, not only the ink, but the chemicals I've laced the paper with themselves, untraceable by Capitol Hill security, have seeped through your fingertips, and soon your bowels will release. Your spine will go rigid. You won't have the energy to call for help from your horrible staff. No, you will be dead. So hopefully these final words will be the last thing you see, you wretch. Fuck you. Sincerely, a constituent. Zachary Barton, who is coincidentally married to Michael Ostrom, reads a letter she wrote to their cat, who passed away more than ten years ago. My dearest Allie, it's simply not possible for me to put into words how much I miss you. I have to believe that you're still here with me in some form or dimension. It's the only way I can carry on without you. First, I want to thank you with all my heart for leaving the way you did. You just constantly amaze me with the complexity of our relationship. Even though I was the one who was supposed to take care of you, we both know that you were the one who took care of me. And you did it until the very end. 
Thank you so much for waking me up so I could be with you when you said goodbye. Your life seemed so perfect and complete, and you gave me every opportunity to be the best partner I could be. When I think of those last few days, I can't help but remember feeding you on the floor of the kitchen. You were so baby-like with a napkin tied around you like a bib, sitting up on my lap, taking your food from me in small bites. And even though you became more childlike, you never lost your dignity. And though you had to go through the, the needle pricks and the pilling and all the medications, you never held a grudge. Thank you so much for understanding that I loved you so much and only wanted to do what was best for you. And thank you for hanging on just long enough to be at home with us in your bed. You were so amazing till the very end, so willful. If I had thought you were in pain, I couldn't have stood it myself, but when I took you to bed with me, you didn't cry out in pain, but just annoyance. I knew you weren't into being in bed with me these days. You wanted your own bed, so I put you there, and there was no more crying. But I have to tell you, Allie, when you left, I felt like something was being ripped from me, ripped from every cell in my body, from my very DNA. It hurts so bad. I miss you so much. I have never in my life wanted something so badly. I have never in my life wanted something that I can't have so badly. And I do. I want you back. I want you with me. I want to see your beautiful face and your beautiful knowing eyes. You were the thing that tethered me to this world for so long. For so many years, you were the only reason for me to come home, for me to even have a home, for me to be alive. You were my love. I loved you. I put all my love into you, and you took it, and you loved me back. When I felt so alone and hated the world and was hated in the world, I would watch you wander into the hallway and take someone's breath away. And though you were truly a beauty, it was always beyond that. Everyone who knew you were marked about it. People who didn't even know me wanted to know you. And that meant so much to me. You grew up on my love, and other people loved you. Somehow that gave me faith. Faith enough to get through all the loneliness. And I was never truly alone with you. We used to dance late at night when I would come home dance in the mirror when I was still all dressed up with nowhere to go. You were my home and my heart and my love and my family. And now you're gone. And yes, Michael is here and he misses you too. But he's a boy. Maybe that's why it's not the same. I don't know. Maybe... He doesn't need me the way you did. Maybe he doesn't take care of me the way you did. Maybe it's not fair to him. He loves you so much. As long as we've been together, the only time I've ever seen him cry is over you. Our hearts are broken. So broken. And I'm lost. I don't know whether it's because of you or just because I'm lost, but I don't know what's keeping me tethered anymore. So I search for you. I wish you would come to me my dream or something. 
but maybe I don't. We have a new kitty now named Leela. <laughs> She's a funny one. She's pretty and bear-like, and she only has one eye. But she's not as smart as you, and all in all, she's nice, but she's a cat. Sometimes she'll do something that's like you would do, and I, I hope it's you sending a sign or something. I would do just about anything to see you again. But instead, I have to search for positive things. The best thing I can find from all of this is that I'm grateful that you went before me. I can't bear to think that you would have to go into this world without me. I would never have wanted you to live with the pain, especially if you didn't understand it or thought that I abandoned you. So that's one thing I'm grateful for. And I'm truly proud of your life. You had the best possible life you could have. I took the best care of you I ever could take. I did everything for you. I spared nothing. We were never even separated once since you were eight. I took you around the country with me. I even took you to the progressive fair in Sebastopol when we had to check out of that hotel room early. That was weird. <laughs> but you were a great fellow traveler. And the few times where I really could have fucked up, you saved me. And I thank you for that. And in the end, I kept those fools from harming you further or prolonging your death. We really worked together there. I'm proud of both of us on that. It wasn't easy for me, but you made it easier, and you spared me any guilt or second-guessing that could have tortured me forever. You allowed me to give you the death that I would want for myself. And then you woke me up to say goodbye. Thank you, Alexandra. I don't know if I'll ever be able to truly say goodbye forever, but thank you for saying it to me. You are the most beautiful soul I've ever known. And to think that you were mine was a gift beyond comprehension. I will carry it in my heart forever. I love you so very much. Zach. My name is Jane Entwistle, and I'm the producer of To Whom It May Concern. I read a letter to an auntie whose practical joke has left an indelible mark. Dear Auntie Linda, I'm sure you have figured out by now that you are not among the rallies I visited whilst home in England this Christmas. I'm sorry, sort of. I'm sorry my mum is sad I didn't visit you, and I suppose I owe you an explanation. Truth be told, I still haven't recovered from my last visit almost 20 years ago. <laughs> I don't in fact know if I shall ever truly recover. You promised to look after me back then, show me around, reacquaint me with the seaside town of Blackpool I grew up in. You planned a lovely night out for my cousins and me, children the last we saw each other, and this included a few drinks at your local and then a dance at your favorite club. It's funny, looking back, you seemed ancient to be going out dancing. But you were the age I am now. I loved the pub, all oldie-worldly, like a British pub should be. The club, however, was all flashing lights and chrome and populated almost entirely with men, and I'm fairly certain it wasn't a gay bar. 
As I walked towards the table, a voice boomed out from the speakers. Ayo, the Yanks arrived. I vaguely clocked it as being timed with our arrival, but dismissed it as we settled down with our drinks. People were staring and turning around in their seats to look at me and wave. And then the voice commanded, get the yank. Without really knowing why, I ran. <laughs> in circles, because there was nowhere to go. The bartender did a handspring over the bar and followed suit. People were cheering, get the yank, get the yank. He grabbed me around the waist, picked me up, and carried me to a tiny stage with a gate around it, and he locked me in. I sat down on the stool that was waiting for me with the stage lights blinding my eyes. There was a circular DJ booth in the middle of the club, completely encased in black glass, so I couldn't see him. But this is where the voice came from. Hello, Yank. Hello, I squeaked. Well, aren't you a Yankee doodle? I'm still trying to figure out what that means. Do you like farmers, Yank? Um, yeah, I, uh, I like farmers, I guess. Well, good, because we've got a farmer for you. And the bartender who had put me there in the first place hopped over the fence wearing a straw hat and a pair of raggedy pants cut off at the knees. A country song began to play about farmers and their chickens, and the bartender dropped his pants to reveal that all he was wearing underneath was a rubber chicken. <laughs> he waggled the chicken around. His willy, obviously lying in wait inside, and told me to touch his chicken. I looked with terror out towards you, Auntie Linda, for you to come and save me from this circus act of perversity. And you were yelling, go on, Janie, go on, Chuck, touch the chicken. Shocked. <laughs> I reached out with a tremulous finger and I poked the chicken and it squirted something in my eye. <laughs> the audience cheered, Auntie Linda the loudest. The song ended, the applause died down, and I got up to exit the stage, wiping my mascara that was running down my cheek. But then the voice, the voice asked, fancy a gangbang, Yank? <laughs> this was not the England of my childhood. The men were all crowding the stage, shaking the gate and cheering. I squealed and tried to run, but again, there was nowhere to go. The bartender hopped back on with two barmaids who were wearing bathing suits and a few randoms from the dance floor, and then on came the gangbang song. We're having a gangbang, we're having a ball, we're having a gangbang against the wall. We were all pressed together, and the whole line was doing this. We're having a gangbang against the wall, and my cheeks... I have pictures, my cheeks were pressed between the backs and the front of somebody with terror in my eyes, a mascara running down my cheek. The whole bar was singing the gangbang song and your familiar voice rose above the rest, Auntie Linda. Uh, I was given a bottle of champagne as a consolation prize 
which I drank straight from the bottle. And I don't remember much of the rest of the night. It was a blur. But I do remember that rubber chicken. There are other reasons I won't come and visit you. And perhaps those are more deserving of a letter than this. But this is a bloody good start. Love, sort of, Jane. been listening to To Whom It May Concern, produced by Jane Entwistle and Justin Crane. Music played by Michael Ostrom and Aaron Gilmartin. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a single letter. Rate us on iTunes so more folks hear about the show. Come to a live show to hear the letters in person. And if you have a letter you'd like to submit, even if you live far away, we'll read it for you. Visit readyourletter.com. Realized I didn't know how to do that. Thank you.